is probably one of the most confident dogs I've ever seen. He knows that he's worth it. He knows that he can make these decisions. And he doesn't need me to do it for that. You're listening to the That Dog Podcast, the show that brings you life lessons from dogs shared by the people who love them most. I'm your host, Harriet Alexander, here to discover another That Dog story. My guest today has some amazing stories to share, so I'm thrilled to be th- speaking with him. Jonas became a canine instructor in Sweden in 1986 and went on to study with a number of well-known professionals in the industry and gained further qualifications from there. And he moved to Spain in 1992. After withdrawing from the dog world for um, a few years, he eventually got pulled back in, as sometimes happens, and has since dedicated himself to dogs professionally. And he also hosts his own podcast in Spanish, if we have any um, Spanish speakers listening. So mm. welcome, Jonas, to the That Dog Thank Podcast. You. Thank you very much. I know you've had lots of important turning points in your journey with dogs. So I thought to start with, you could tell me a little bit about your background with dogs and about some of these, these key moments that have led you to where you are now. My first own dog, if we put it that way, would be a, a, a little beagle, a female beagle called Fia that started it all. In Sweden, basically what you should do and what people are doing is that they take the little puppy and they go to a puppy course. I don't know if they still do it, but and there is this organization in Sweden that's called Bruksundsklubben, which means basically the working dog club. Mm-hmm. And it's a national thing. It's all over the country. I think it's subsidized by the government. So it doesn't cost you that much. So I took a puppy course with her and got interested in, in that. And that meant that I then ended up taking an instructor's course. Thanks to a hunter I met when she was still a puppy, ended up being basically a loose lease dog. She was more or less running around on her own all the time. And I saw the tip of her tail in the field <laughs> moving around. But that helped a lot because that gave me, from the start of it all, the sense of that I don't have to control the dog, really. But then when I came to Spain, I got myself a Siberian Husky. And people were saying to me that, oh, they're impossible. You can't work with them. They, they're so untrainable and things mm. like that. So I said, well, we'll see about that. And I had my own little stubborn head on, and she ended up being in the eyes of society, I would say, is that she ended up being an absolutely perfect dog because she could walk in here in Spain in Benidorm, which is a, a tourist centre which got loads and loads of people walking around in the streets, and she could walk with me off leash doing a heel with all the people running around and she held the heel everywhere it was no mm-hmm. problem at all and then i say i went in and got a paper or something like that. i stopped outside the door and that meant that me stopping meant that she sat down and if i walked into the shop starting walking with my right foot she still sat there and she sat there until I came back out again. And I walked around her and I put myself in the position I had when I left her. And then I started walking with the left foot. And that meant that she stood up and she continued with the heel without me even put, giving her the command for it. Mm. 
And that was me showing people that this can be done with a Siberian Husky. Mm-hmm. Had absolutely nothing to do with the dog. That dog, she was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And she was not in the equation. Mm. I didn't care. It was all me. Yeah. It was all me, 100%. There was not even 1% of Luna, which was her name. And I know today that I probably gave her a miserable life, which is sometimes tough. It's tough now when I, when I talk about it. And that is not fair. I've come to that conclusion. If I'm having a dog for me, don't have it. If it's for my ego, then you shouldn't have the dog. You should think twice. But now I live in a completely different perspective. Put it this way. These 10 dogs I have in this household haven't even trained the recall with not one of them. Mm-hmm. And they run around loose. People say, oh, you don't have a recall. Uh, if I need them to come to me, I can call on them and I shout their name and they know because I don't usually do it. And they know that that means, oh, I should get over there because he's calling on me. They must be important. Mm. And, you're not um, doing it 50 times a day, you know. Exactly. And then taking Exactly. Given the freedom to the dog to decide and make decisions and stuff like that, I've actually come to the conclusion that they know what responsibility means. Because I've given them the freedom to find out that they have actually, well, I've got this freedom, but that means I have to be responsible with it. The same way we are with these hunting dogs. When they're out in the field and sometimes there's something moving, when they're younger, they would definitely run after it. Today, they actually assess the situation. Yeah. They stand there, they can look at it and say, nah, it's not worth it. It's almost giving them that opportunity to figure that out is something that we don't do, that learning and that problem solving. And that is something that I understand as well. All this, I would say, can, we can take it back to the beagle. It all started there because mm-hmm. I did more or less the same thing with her. And that was that hunter I met one day in a forest when she was really small. And I had her on a a leash, but a longer leash. And he asked me, why are you having her on the leash? I said, I don't want her to run away. And he said, she's a lot more afraid of losing you than you are losing her. (laughs) So from then on, I let her loose. And since she was that small, she was really aware I was. Yeah. And that kept going. It's interesting that you started with your beagle doing something almost without thinking about it because that was the circumstance. But actually, then you pulled those lessons through a lot later and realised what the value of that was. But obviously, there was a process to get to that that point. And I appreciate you sharing the story about your um, husky because that is a hard thing. And I think what struck me about that is this idea of what a perfect dog is. And I think you're right. It's almost a perfect dog is a dog in a way, not being a dog, which speaks a lot to how we see dogs on a broader level. We're here to talk about your that dog, but it's great to have that context. So tell me about your that dog, who they are and how you met. That dog for me is Gandul. That is Spanish. And that basically means lazy. He came to me when he was four months and a week old. And he showed me rather early that nothing that I really had used to communicate with the dog before worked with him. 
Mm-hmm. He was he was very much his own. He told me very early that if I want to stand over here and sniff on this, I'm going to do that until I'm finished with it. <laughs> and then, then I might uh, go over and I'll see what it is you want me to do. But I'm going to finish this first. And if you don't let me, I'm not going to collaborate or cooperate with you at all. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to be miserable and grumpy. And was he like so, that right from the start? Most definitely. Mm. He is a rescue dog, but he was rescued very early and was fortunate to come into a, 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 a foster home where there was a female galgo adult that took him and his brother in custody. She, she adopted them as her own. He had those adult, stable adults around him then, even exactly. though he was a rescue. And that is key to all this. I don't know if the foster home was actually aware of what they were doing and <laughs> did it on purpose, but what they did, they did everything absolutely 100% right. The dogs were in a calm area, but they went into to the city once in a while. And that meant that they were walking around among the people, among all the noise, and these two puppies were as well. But they were doing it with their mother. Yeah. And then they went on walks with other dogs out in the countryside, and they had socialization with other dogs, all with their mother. So their mother was there for them. The relationship I have with my dog has to be a trust relationship. The dog has to be able to trust me and trust me in the sense that I am there when they need me. And that was what they had from their mother. And that is the key to make both of them, because I've, I've got these two brothers here now. The two, uh, Gandul came first and the other one, Goku, he turned up a year and a half later, but that was completely different circumstances. But Gandul was definitely one of the most confident Galgos I've seen. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. And he's probably one of the most confident dogs I've ever seen. I'm talking self-confidence. He knows that he's worth it. He knows that he can make these decisions. And he doesn't need me to do for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I know perfectly well what to do. Obviously, I wasn't going to start like punishing him for not doing what I was. That was not in my toolbox. But I was with the sausageology, if you want to call it that, with the sausages. And then I tried with play, see if we can play. If I yeah. do this and that, I can get some attention from him. He looked at me like, oh, get out of my face. What are you trying to get out of this? What is it? Stop. And I couldn't get his attention. I had to sit down. And look at him. I had to sit down and observe. I had to learn. I had to ask him, what motivates you? What is it that makes you tick? What it turned out to be was letting him understand that it is up to him. I'm letting him decide. Giving him that freedom has meant that he is now choosing to be attentive. He has accepted me as the reference 
and he has accepted me as the pillar in his life. He knows that I am there to support him when he needs it. And that means he doesn't want to lose me. He doesn't want to uh, run away. He has his personality. He has his own criteria. And I can obviously, as a human being, I can destroy that. Yes, I can. But in this case, I had to realize what is it that makes him tick? I'm 100% convinced that what makes him tick and what, what he needed was that I accepted that that is what we've got. I accept you. I, I take you in as you are. I'm not going to try to change you. And I have to mold myself into that. And it turned out really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> well I, I was going to ask, myself. I mean, yeah. while you were getting to that point, was it a difficult process? Did you feel yourself struggling with certain things or being challenged by that behavior that you weren't so used to? I think it was frustrating sometimes, yes, because it's got an ego in it. And since I am the rational being here, I am supposed to be the one that is in charge because I am the one that I've got a bigger brain. I know what's going on here. But observing this, this dog in particular, he was so completely different. I could tell that it wasn't that he didn't want to be with me. I think we came to terms very quickly. He told me, no, 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 hang on a minute, because we are out here and I live in your house now. That doesn't mean I'm going to do everything you want me to do. And he made that clear to me. I didn't want to change that. I wanted him to be the way he was, but I needed mm. to find out if I let him be like this, what do I have to do to make this relationship work? Instead of training him, I trained myself. I had to train myself to fit in, make me fit in with him, not the yep. other way around. Which is very hard for humans to do, I think. But oh, we're, yeah. not, <laughs> we're not good and at that's it. That's what often. I mean. Sometimes it was <laughs> yeah. very, very frustrating. Yeah, but, I'm but, sure. Um, and what was that process? Are there any key aha moments or things that you found were really helpful? Patience and, and um, a steel hand. Because sometimes you'd have to bite your hand. When the dog does something, if you're out in the field and he's running away and he disappears over the horizon, you'd have to bite your hand for not calling him back. You have to be able to wait because that is, that is something as well that I tell people many times and that when they say to me, so I can't let my dog loose because he'll escape. And I said, uh, hang on a minute, think about what you said. What did you say? Well, he's going to escape. And I said, okay, what does escape mean? Well, he's going to run away far. And no, escape doesn't mean that. Escape means escaping from the prison. And if that is what you think that he's going to do, then we're going to have to sit down and go into what relationship are you having with your dog? So we start again. Why can't you let your dog off leash? Oh, he's going to run away. Okay, how far? For how long? It could be for too far away and it could be for too long. We've got dogs that run off and they are not coming back until like three, four hours later. We have to assess this and have that session a couple of times and let the dog run away. Put a GPS signal on it so we know where he is and so we can be sure. And obviously taking him out to a place where he doesn't end up in a motorway or something. Of course, these places do exist. That we can minimalize that down to um, acceptable 
number. But the essence of it is that, no, the dog doesn't want to run away from me. What I've quite clearly seen with my dogs is that they don't that much anymore. Obviously, when they are teenagers or adolescents, that, that means they're pushing the borders. They want to find out and they need to as well. I mean, mm. they need it's to. It's part of development, isn't it? Exactly. They yeah. need to get to that limit on how far they dare. And that limit is getting closer and closer and closer every day. I've got something that I call it the silent recall. Say so I'm out walking with my dogs and they've been away for like a couple of minutes and I don't know exactly where they are. Yes, I sometimes need to have that control. I'm not trying to say that I don't because I do. And sometimes I feel a little bit uncomfortable with the situation and I need to have them back with me. What I do is I stop in my tracks and I'm completely silent and I come back. They want to find out where did he go? What happened mm, there? What, what's you know, he doing? It is me controlling them. Yes, it is. But I'm letting them think that it's their own decision to mm. find out where I am. It's that space to think, which we often don't give dogs. Exactly. We want very quick, automatic responses that we've, we've conditioned. Exactly. And I had a video that I, I went out with them. I let them off and they ran away and I was filming. And then I stop to look at the view because I'm up in the mountains. So I stopped, turned around, filmed the view for 10 seconds. That 10 second stop that I did there, filming the view, all of a sudden the dogs are coming running. And then we continue walking. That to me shows me 100% that they want to be with me. And that comes from what I had to do with Gandor. It all comes down to that training myself instead of training him. I became something that he can use, if you want to put it that way. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't said it that way before. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is something I try to tell people as well. In the beginning, I'm struggling because it is a personal process that you have to go through. You have to work with it. But then I've got people coming back after a year or something like that. Like, oh, Janice, I've got a completely different relationship with my dog. This is absolutely awesome. And that's comforting when you get that yeah, message back. Definitely. <laughs> but there's another thing in this with Gandul. Uh, he could lie on the couch. All right. Yes, I let them be on the couch. Okay. That out, out the door. That's it. Done. So he's lying on the couch. And this was early as well when he was little. And I came over to him. And if he was lying there comfortable and feeling good, he could growl at me. He could like, and that meant that I, gave him a little bit more space and I sat down somewhere else. I'd never done that with another dog before. Mm. Oh, no. No, no, no. You growl at me? How <laughs> dare you? I'm going to sit here, if you like it or not. Do I really have to sit where he is? No, I don't. We usually don't. There are other places where I could sit. So that was another thing that I realised. I had looked at the dog growling at me before, uh, something really bad. 
Mm. And personal, right? I think sometimes when that happens, oh, yeah. people find it's a personal mm. slight um, oh, rather yeah. than a communication signal. Now I told myself at that point, and like, how would I react? If I would lie in a place and whatever, and someone else came and like basically sat on me, I would probably growl as well. It's a really interesting point. And it made me think about physical contact with dogs and how much we really seek it and do get quite offended when it doesn't arrive. And I think it is something we have to work on all the time. I'm thinking of my own young dog who's about eight months now and who's becoming more independent and is not quite wanting that contact as she did. And I was a bit like, oh God, you know, I miss that, the cuddliness. But Actually, it's a very healthy thing that she is developing that independence and it means that she can be exactly, as you say, more self-confident. So shifting that lens and perspective, I think, can really help. When it comes to it, look at it as if, for me anyway, that I am his father. And that Mm. means that I try to have that relationship to be a, a father figure in the sense that I don't have to tell him exactly everything that he has to do. But there are obviously some some rules in the household. And he knows as well that if I ask him something, he should do it in the household. Ask him very little. But when that comes, he should get it done. I want my dog to learn on his own, find out how far can you go. What happens if I don't do what... Jonas asked me to do, how far can I push him, so to speak, before he blows his top? We can't fool the dog. We really can't. We try to. We see on television programs. So I'm going in and see this dog. So I stand outside the door and I take a deep breath and I go, and now I'm calm. I can walk in there. It doesn't work that way. Because we've got all these stress hormones and we've got all exactly. these yeah. adrenaline and we've got cortisol and we've got glucocorticoids running around in our system. We've got millions of pores in our skin and we are big, huge smell point. And the dog, they can pick up the scent from basically anything. So if I try to fool the dog and try to tell the dog that I am in an emotional state that I'm not, It doesn't work. It really does not work. Dogs are not stupid. And one thing they loathe is being treated as if they were. He does understand how you feel. He gets your emotional state 100%. And that is something we have to keep in mind. And if I can use that to tell my dog, I can talk to my dog, tell him how you feel. He knows already. Yeah. But if you and tell him. you do, I think, sometimes. Yes. Yeah. He's like, it's like Google. The dog knows you're upset before you do. I can't fool my dogs 100%. Mm. And if, if I'm honest with my dog, I'm convinced that builds a certain bond to the relationship that you can't get with a piece of sausage. I did think that's the way to do it. I did. But now I'm 100% convinced that's got absolutely nothing to do with it. Mm. It's the, the relationship you've got with the dog and the, the way that you build that relationship. Be your dog's best friend. We take it in the wrong sense. We think that being the best friend is being the one that you go out and have a beer with, having a laugh with. 
that's not your best friend. The best friend is the one you pick the phone up at two o'clock in the morning and you ring them up and they're picking up the phone yeah. and they listen to you. A point of security and safety, which I yeah. think that's the really important your, part. The support. I'm 100% sure that for Gandul, I am the one that he runs to when he needs mm. someone. And I think when and you have that relationship, that is when this idea of teaching lots and lots of different things to try and live together peacefully becomes much less relevant. If the relationship's not there, those things are managing a situation that's probably not working particularly well. I used to take my dogs out when I was running. I don't anymore. What changed? I realised that I took them with me because I, I thought that was something they would enjoy, but I've come to the conclusion that they don't. Mm-hmm. They run with me because I'm running and they don't want to lose me. I can tell you as well that if they start running when we're out and I start running with them, we're not running for a very long time. I assess in, in a local shelter on aggressive behaviour and fear. And since I've got Galgos, I work with Galgos and Pudenkos quite a lot. And then obviously with the, the dangerous dog breed, the bitey ones. Now we've got quite a lot of Belgian Malinois coming in. Mm. Uh, that could be a problem. If you're doing it wrong, it, it can go really wrong. Mm. Um, we've had that problem with the Border Collies. That became very popular as well. And then mm-hmm. we've got stressed out Border Collies running around chasing bicycles and stuff. And the Border Collie, that could be a nuisance. But the problem with the Malinois is that that becomes really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because they are, people come to me and they said, I would like to adopt a Galga. Because I'm out and I'm uh, running and I do a lot of like hiking. And I said, well, in that case, don't. Don't get a galgo because that's a sight hound. And that means that you've got a dog that is extremely cautious about using up the energy. They don't move at all if they don't have to. And that means that then we talk about the fastest dog in the world together with the English greyhound. We talk about a dog that gets up to touching. They can't touch 70 kilometers an hour when they run because they want to or they run because they think they have to. There's a difference in that. I can say that I've seen Gandul run twice, predatory, when you can tell now he runs because he thinks he has to. And that means using it all, 100% of his capacity, and that, means that in less than six seconds, he's 100 metres away. Usain Bolt would be outrun easily. In that moment, I could scream my head off and it wouldn't make no difference whatsoever. He's not there. He's 100% on that. And when you see them do that, you go, wow. It is amazing. Mm-hmm. There's one thing you need to know about sight hounds as well. And the process of running when they're doing the gallop, the galgo and the greyhound or the whippet or the Italian greyhound, they are basically flying. They hardly touch the ground at all. There's something really special about this. They are elevated twice in the running process. And the sight hand is the only dog breed that does that. Because they push with the front legs. So when they stretch out and they fly stretched out, then they crouch back in 
And what happens is that the front legs hit the floor and the hind legs go on top of the front legs on the outside and they push with the front legs and then they fly again until the back legs hit the ground and then they stretch out again until the back hind legs push away again and they fly stretched out. No other dog does that. And it's amazing to see, isn't it? When they really run, you don't even see the legs. No. And I think people can be quite shocked, particularly if they get a greyhound, for example, because they are quite lazy dogs or have that gentle nature. Suddenly it can be quite a shock when you see this dog actually take off and do what it was bred to do. It explodes. We talk about different kinds of dogs and you've got these training dogs, if you want to call it that, the dopamine dogs, uh, border collies, malinois, and all these guys, highly, highly, highly driven to collaborate and they've got an impulse to collaborate those huge they are the ferrari and the lamborghini in the dog training world the sighthounds are rockets in the sense they are there until you light it up Mm -hmm. and once you've lit it up you have no control over it with with a ferrari (laughs) you press the accelerator and you can get something happening and it goes but you can let go and it slows down and you can brake and you can turn and you've got a steering wheel with a rocket before you lit it up nothing happens it's there and you can carry it around and it will be with you okay fine and then you lit it up and it boom and it will go where it wants to go It goes how it wants to go. It goes as fast as it possibly can because there's nothing else but full speed and it will until the fuel runs out. And there's nothing really you can do about that. (laughs) No. I think you have to have a level of acceptance when you live with a sighthound. You're going to have a dog that could be 100 metres away from you and think and feel that he's with you. He's walking with you. So if you can't handle that, you shouldn't have a sighthound. They are very lazy in the sense that I said before, they don't use their energy if they don't have to, because they are the same thing as the cheetah on the savannah. They're lying down all day and all of a sudden they are looking around and they find that prey and they start running a little bit and then all of a sudden, boom. And they have to have the energy for that moment. They're definitely not going to use it up going out home and run with you. They yeah, don't want yeah. to. It's not, it's not in their ethogram. It's not natural for them. When you're out walking with a sighthound or a greyhound or go-go, they are very slow. I mean, they, they hardly move at all. And that can also be frustrating sometimes because we've got mm-hmm. the idea, we're going to go for a walk with a dog, and they don't really want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't really want to. Not on the leash yeah. with a 10-dog household. I can tell you that I am basically with four of them, the four big ones. And then my wife and, and the children are with the smaller ones. I take the four of them out for walks. I've said to other caretakers that's got multi-dog household, try to make a walk once in a while with one of them. Have a one-on-one. Now it's you and me. It's like when you take one kid to the, to the pictures or something. Right? We have our moment. I think that's important as well. And then, then I use a 10-metre leash when I'm out with one of them. And Which that means fine. that the walk can be a bit different. Okay? But when I'm walking the four of them, it's a bit more restricted 
the the two gal guys are really slow. I think it's great that you brought up the one-to-one walk because they do love it. I think they when you live in a multi-dog household, I know with my guys um, and, and clients I've had too, they love it. It is that special time and you can see oh, yeah. what oh, they yeah. get from it. If you get the eye contact, you can see that they look at you in a different way. That's a good tip for people who do have a couple of dogs if that's something they don't do at the moment. At least once a week, one-on-one. Just It's, it's you and me, mate. Exactly. <laughs> but a special time. I mean, you've covered so many points. The story that you tell, I think, is really great in terms of seeking control or talking a lot about ego and then actually having to let that go and the different things that Gundul has taught you. I'd love to know if there's one really major lesson that we haven't touched on or that you feel is, is really important for people to think about that they can learn from your journey with him. Well, I took a seminar a short while ago with an Italian guy. His name is Michele Minuno. He's written a book about predatory behavior and communication. Mm-hmm. Re- strongly recommend. Not for you as a dog caretaker in your home, but for people in our business. Um, I think really that is a really, really good read. I'll put a mm. link um, in the notes for people. Yeah, and then I always try to recommend Rosie Lowry's book, Silent Communication. That's one that I recommend clients to start with. That's a good starting point. But to wrap it up, put your dog first. Love it. That's done. Say, I'm going to go out and have a cup of coffee sitting on a terrace. I could probably bring Gandul. On a scale of one to 10, he would probably okay up to a six or something like that to go with me. He could probably do that. Then I've got Pocho. He would be a two. He would hate it. That means I'm not taking him with me to a terrace and sit and have a cup of coffee or, or a beer or whatever. I wouldn't. It's not something that he would enjoy. It would be the other way around. So if I put my dog first, whenever I take, make a decision that is including me, that I am going to do something, when I'm looking at if I'm going to bring my dog or not, or if my dog is going to be involved in this, put your dog first. Will the dog enjoy it? Will he learn something from it? Will it be beneficial for him? And if there's too many no's, leave him home. Obviously, if he's not having a separation anxiety problem or something like that, okay? We do things with our dog not having a clue if it's something that the dog likes to do. If you're taking your dog to something on and on and on that he hates, what does that do to your relationship with that dog? How does the dog look mm-hmm. at you? What are you to that dog? There was another Italian. His name is Giuseppe Fatone, and he put something on Facebook that I tra- translated to English. And basically what he says, what person do you want to be for your dog? You decide. The dog yeah. can't decide for you. You decide what kind of a person you are to your dog. It's also an opportunity. I think sometimes having dogs in our lives is an opportunity to be better people, to try and, you know, refine those skills that can be really hard for us, which is what you're talking about when you're making that choice. If you think about who you want to be for your dog, if you're not there yet, you you can get there. There's things you can do to try and go to that aspiration that you have, which can be quite powerful. Uh, A colleague of mine here in Spain that I talk a lot to because we're I actually even call him my cousin. We're not. But <laughs> in Spanish, saying that he's my cousin means we're really yeah. close. But it's Santos Alfines. He communicates in Spanish. If you're Spanish, check him out. He's, he's definitely another one that I use as a reference. And he says, the less I teach my dog, the more he learns on his own. Mm. 
Mm. It is such a profound phrase when you really look into it. And it's really what it's all about. So put your dog first. And the less you teach your dog, the more he learns on his own. I think those are two things that I'll take with me and hopefully um, the audience will too. So thank you so much um, for this discussion. It's always great to talk to you about all these different ideas. If people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? They can find me on jonastulin.com. I've got two Facebook pages. They're called Jonas Tulin as well. One is called Jonas Tulin EN, which is English, and then mm-hmm. they've got one ES, which is for Spanish. I'm on Instagram as well, Jonas Tulin EN and ES, Spanish and English as well. It's been really great. And thank you again um, for taking part in the podcast and really appreciate your, your time. Anytime. And it goes both ways. Harriet, thank you. I enjoy very much talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Fat Dog Podcast, hosted and produced by me, Harriet Alexander of All Dogs Are Good. You can find out more about my work by visiting alldogsaregood.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite platform. And if you enjoyed the show and want to hear more, leave a review. It really does help the podcast. And now it's time to go and learn from your dog. Thank you.